this morning, I'm going to be sharing a heart, a heart message. A heart message. The kind of message that um, when Jesus gave his disciples, some of them said, this is too hard. This is too hard. And even me, as I deliver this message, I'm praying for his grace to come through so that I'll give it just the way I was given. We are still on the series Overcoming Marital Infidelity. Marital Infidelity. And for this morning, I am going to be sharing on healing, healing, healing. Can you give me uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 17? Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans 5, 17. Can you give it to me in the NASB? New American Standard Bible? Thank you. It says, if by the transgression of the one, that is Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, and that is Jesus Christ. Don't we all want to reign in life? Many of us are coping in life. Um, from the country um, where I was born, we use the term, we manage life. We manage life. And that is not how God wants us to live. He wants us to reign in life. He wants us to be victorious. So I'm going to be speaking this morning on healing. Healing for uh, those who have experienced and have struggled with that unfortunate and terrible sin of marital infidelity. In my last message on this theme, I, I did identify the root cause, the root cause of this problem. And as I said, it is simply sin. And that is walking in or after the flesh. And there's a difference between walking in and, a and uh, after the flesh. Those that are unbelievers walk in the flesh because they are of the flesh. But a believer can walk after the flesh, can walk according to the flesh. And when we walk according to the flesh, we are going to experience frustration, conflict, and all sorts of problems that this broken world will bring to us. I did define the flesh as a self-centered life. The flesh is simply the attitude, the mindset, and the ways that you and I have developed in order to have our needs, our God-given needs met. And those needs are many, not only the physical needs, but also we have some God-given inner needs, such as love, respect, significance, and the rest of them. Flesh is a self-centered life that originated from our sin nature. And the sin nature is a nature that we inherited from Adam. All of us inherited that nature. In Galatians 5, from verse 19 to 21, Paul listed the works of the flesh. In other words, when we walk after the flesh, these are the things 
that will manifest. And amongst those enumerated was sexual immorality, adultery, jealousy, fits of anger, pride, heresies. He listed all of them. And I did say that the flesh is like an octopus. It's like an octopus. The octopus has eight, eight tentacles. Okay, so each of those tentacles might represent a manifestation of the flesh. Most of the times we want to cut off one tentacle. In other words, if you are struggling with anger as a fleshly manifestation, you try to deal with anger, but you forget that jealousy, which is all a part of the tentacle, is going to be reinforced. Because when you cut off the tentacle of an octopus, it grows back. In fact, it will reinforce the other tentacles in order, to, in order to compensate for the one that has been cut off. And so when, 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 when we are struggling with, with the flesh, and we're struggling with one of the manifestations, we are always interested in dealing with one of them. If jealousy is one of your fleshy manifestations, you pray, Lord, I want to take care of jealousy. But know what? Anger is still there. So you drop jealousy and anger becomes magnified. I did also mention that there are, there are other, um, there are terrible consequences that come as a result of this sin. Terrible emotional, mental, physical trauma, torture, pain, agony, devastation that comes as a result of sexual immorality and adultery. And then I concluded that God's prescription for overcoming this sin, using Paul's admonition in Galatians chapter 5 again, verses 16 to 25, is walking after the Spirit. He says when we walk after the Spirit, then we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. When we walk after the Spirit, in other words, when we are being led by the Spirit, he says that those that are sons of God, they are those that are being led by the Spirit. So when we are led by the Spirit, and we are walking step by step with the Spirit, then we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. The reason being that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of, of the Spirit will always oppose the desires of the flesh. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, they will always oppose the desires of the flesh. And by and large, they will overcome the flesh. Now, the question that I ask is, is there any internal security that God has placed in us to protect us, indeed to protect our marriages against affairs, against illicit affairs, against infidelity? Pastor Bang did touch on some of those. I think he mentioned about three. On looking at that, that question, is there some internal security that God has installed in us as married believers that will protect us against that sin? And I came up with about seven of them. I came up with seven. And I call this God's internal security system with the acronym GISS. I'm a student of geography, so I'm familiar with GIS. 
but I've just added S. So we have G-I-S-S, meaning God's internal security, that makes us a fair proof, that makes our marriages a fair proof. The first one is that God has given us a new nature. He's given us a new identity. He says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. All things are passed away. Those things that I used to do in my BC days, they are gone because I have a new nature. I have a new heart. I have a new spirit. I have the mind of Christ. I have the divine nature. Secondly, all our needs are met in Christ. Some of the reasons that have been advanced for, for this sin, infidelity, is that my needs are not being met. But I want to remind you that God has met all of our needs in Christ Jesus. And all we need to do is to rely on him. We don't see our spouse as a source, but we see our spouse as a resource that God is a source. That as we receive from him, then we give to our spouses, rather than looking at each other for that need. Because none of us, none of us has been equipped to be a source for any of the needs. Only God can meet our needs. He says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, even in Christ Jesus. Number three, there is the security of being forgiven and then a gift of forgiveness. Being forgiven and a gift of forgiveness. And we will talk about that. One of the most powerful grace gift that God has given us is a gift of forgiveness. To be forgiven, which is a gift, and then when we receive that gift, then we can give it out because you cannot give out what you do not have. It is until you have received the gift of forgiveness from God, then can you give it out to another person when you have been offended. Thirdly or fourthly, there is the indwelling Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the internal security that God has placed in us in order to protect our marriage from affairs. There is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Think of it, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want you to wrap your mind around that, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and he dwells in you and his work is to guide you. His work is to comfort you. When you are passing through hell, he comforts you because he is a comforter. He teaches you. He works in you. He empowers you. Fifthly, you are dead to sin. That's what the Bible says. That we are dead to sin but alive unto God. And that means that the power of sin, which Apostle Paul says that indwells our bodies, the power of sin is, is powerless. As far as you are concerned, the power of sin no longer has any power, no, no longer has any control over you. And then you may ask, then why do believers still sin? We sin by choice. We sin by choice. It is not because we don't have the power to overcome that sin, but we choose to sin, and that is by choice. Number six, there is the ability that God has built in us to detect, to detect and then endure and to overcome temptations. The ability to detect 
endure and overcome temptations. Paul says that there is no temptation that, has, that, that we have faced that is new, that in every temptation that comes our way, he has a way out, that is a route that is out. And it is a choice to see that route and to tap into that route so that we can endure that temptation and overcome it. And fifthly, or seven, the gift of grace and righteousness. The gift of grace and righteousness. Grace is unmerited favor. And favor to me means that God stoops down in his kindness, with his kindness unto us as his superior stoops down to an inferior. So he reaches down to us. He reaches down to us to favor us, to help us, to love us, and to equip us for his work. Now, these are the components of the GISS. Every security system needs a password, needs a code. We have a security system in this building, and you have to put a code before you can activate that code. For me, that the code is, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. We struggle with all the energy in ourselves to live a Christian life. And notice this, that it is Christian life. It is Christ's life. It is not my life, neither is it your life, but it is Christ's life. And so when I go to him and say, I can't, but you can. You activate. You activate immediately that security code. And then you guard and protect your marriage. Today, like I said, I want to focus on, on healing. On healing. You are struggling, and I want to speak to persons and, and a person. You may not be struggling with that. But I want to speak to those firsthand are struggling with the consequences of that sin. We are struggling with bitterness. We are struggling with a sense of betrayal. We are struggling with resentment. We are struggling with guilt, disappointment, and all kinds of emotional and mental torture that has resulted from this sin. And the question is, is there a solution? Is there a solution? Of course there is a solution. And Christ is a solution. It is important for us to note that all the people that are involved, the spouse, the offending spouse, and then the third person in the triangle, you know what I mean? The third person in the triangle, all of them, they need the healing touch of Christ. They all need the healing touch of Christ. But this morning, I want to speak on healing for the spouse. The healing for the spouse. And I've chosen this focus because I know, I know that there are people amongst us that are struggling with this. They are struggling with the sense of betrayal. They are struggling with pain. And it's a moment-by-moment moment pain. It is an unrelenting pain 
And yet, and yet, they can still experience the abundant life. I once asked the members of my, um, the uh, Grace Reality class that I teach, I asked them, can, can you experience the life of Christ? Can you experience the abundant life? In face, in the face of terrible things, your spouse has cheated on you. Not only has he or she cheated on you, he continues to lie that the affair is finished, but you see every evidence around you that it is a lie, that the affair is still on. Can you experience the abundant life of Christ? Of course, there were varying answers. Some said that is difficult. And I agree. And some said, yes, it is possible that you can experience the life of Christ. Because <laughs> um, Christ's life is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Christ's life is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, long-suffering, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is the abundant life that Christ came to give us. So, in spite of your circumstances, no matter how terrible they might be, you can still experience joy. And it is the inner joy. You may not experience happiness because happiness is what happens, what is happening on the outside. And God did not promise you that. He promised you what? Joy. He promised you joy. He promised you patience. He promised you long-suffering. And the last time I checked, long-suffering means the ability to suffer long. Ability to suffer long. But I don't want to trivialize the pain and the suffering that we go through because of this. But let me say that the journey through God's healing pathway is neither a straight shot, nor is it the way that most of us might expect. Often there are some roadblocks there are some roadblocks along the way. But I want to remind you that it is God's process. It's not my process. He is the one who initiated it, and he's the one that will perfect it. He's the one that executes it and brings it to completion. And all that he needs or he desires from us is that we cooperate with him, that we trust him, that we trust him. Because he can cause all things. He says he causes all things to do what? work together for our good. It causes all things to work together for our good, even the unpleasant things that we face. And often the process may include further suffering. And I don't say this, I don't want to trivialize this. Often the process of healing might include further suffering, further pain, because you're offending spouse is still lying to you, is still continuing 
in what he or she has always been doing, even though he or she has promised you everything, that everything shall be okay. That even in the midst of that, God can use that same thing. God can use that to accomplish something in you, something that most of us do not like. And that thing is called brokenness and surrender. Brokenness, and then ultimately, surrender. The purpose of brokenness and surrender is to strip you, to strip you of all your fleshly coping skills, and then to bring you to the end of yourself. And it is only when you come to the end of yourself when you see that all of your coping skills, is that my time? And all of your coping skills has failed, then and only then can you receive the life of Christ. Then and only then. Until then, you are still going to be struggling. You're still going to be struggling. You see, God wants to, you to exchange your self-life for his life, because it is only his life that works. So I want to tell you that God is not only interested in delivering you from the pain of the suffering, but God wants to do a wholesome healing. Not only relieve you from the pain, but also heal you internally and strip you of those fleshly coping skills that you brought into the marriage that could be a trigger, that could be a trigger for your spouse doing what is doing. I'm not saying that you are responsible for what your spouse did, but your own coping skill could be a trigger to what the person is doing. Here is what God says in Galatians 5.34. He says, keep in mind that we who belong to God, as you and us, uh, you and I, have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with your old life was put to death on the cross and crucified with him. Amen? Let me go straight, because of time, to the path to healing. I'm not sure of that time. What is it? 21 minutes, 15 seconds? 21 minutes? Oh, thank you. I thought it was... All right. Still got 21 minutes. You know, I'm a teacher, and um, uh, usually I'm given 75 minutes when I'm teaching in college, so I am used to that. So don't blame me if you cut me down to 45 minutes. <clears throat> but forgiveness. Forgiveness is a key to our deliverance. Forgiveness is a key to our deliverance. Forgiveness is a two-edged sword. Is a two-edged sword. Forgiveness will heal the offending spouse. It will also heal the offended spouse. It will also heal the third person in the triangle. So I want to spend the little time that I have now on forgiveness. You see, 
Forgiveness is a cure. It is a word that has been thrown around everywhere. When somebody offends you, either you try to forgive. But we don't really grasp what that means. We don't grasp the power that is in forgiveness. I recall the woman that was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus. And while her would-be stoners were getting ready to stone this woman, and when Jesus told them, if there is any one of you that has never committed a sin, you'll be the first to, to throw the stone. And of course, all of them left because of the conviction. And when Jesus turned around and saw the woman there, and all the people that wanted to stone her, they left. And Jesus said, has anyone condemned you? He said, neither do I condemn you. He said, go, period. And sin, there, was, there is no and in that statement. He said, neither do I condemn you. And by that he meant, I do not condemn you. I have forgiven you. I have cleansed you. He said, go. And then he said, sin, no more. I believe that that was a command not to the woman, but to the power of sin that was in that woman. He commanded that she said, sin, no more shall you torture this woman. No more will you control this woman. That is the power of forgiveness. Because forgiveness not only takes away the offense, but it also removes the penalty of the offense. As a matter of fact, there are, there are two words. There are two words in Greek, and I don't want to bore you with Greek, that is translated forgiveness. One is aphebi, and the other one is charisma. Charis from charisma, that's grace which is a grace gift. But the first word has two meanings. The first meaning is that to cancel a debt that is owed you. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt that is owed you. For instance, if you offend me, you will owe me at least three things. Three things you owe me. One of them will be what? You owe me an apology. Yes, you owe me an apology. Number two, you owe me a retaliation. I'm going to give you back a retaliation. And number three, there is a deserved punishment for that thing that you've done to me. And when Jesus was teaching on what forgiveness means, remember that he used um, the example of uh, uh, um, of a servant who owed a master millions of dollars, an equivalent of that. And then when he went to the master, he said, I cannot pay. And the man said, I cancel all the debt that you owe me. But that guy turned around, and there was another, a fellow servant who owed him an equivalent of $5 and held him by the throat and said, you must pay everything that you owe me. But it was reported to the master that this is what a person that you've just canceled the debt. This is what he has done. And what did the master do? called him and threw him into jail to be tortured. So by that teaching, Jesus was showing us that forgiveness is a gift. That when you receive it, 
you have to give it out. Forgiveness is a gift that when you receive it, you have to give it out. We've all received forgiveness from God, haven't we? And how did God forgive us? The Bible says that he forgave us when we were still sinners. He forgave us when we were dead in our trespasses. He forgave us when we were, when we hated him, when we were enemies of God. That is when he forgave us. And how did he forgive us? He forgave us totally, unconditionally. We didn't go to God and say, please, oh God, would you forgive me? Nope. We didn't apologize to God. We did not. But out of his mercy, out of his love, he reached down to us and paid the price for our forgiveness. Amen? And the question is, what is God's, before I go into you know, the nitty-gritty of, of forgiveness, what is God's standard for forgiveness? Because oftentimes we want to use our own standards when we look at forgiveness. In fact, most of the time, we don't even do forgiveness. Sometimes we say, well, forget it. And then we push the offense under the carpet. That is not forgiveness. Or sometimes we bake a nice cake and then we try to be nice to the person. Forget it, nothing happened. You've not forgiven the person. You've not. You've not. And just because you know how to forgive, does not mean that you have forgiven until you have forgiven. Amen? Until you have forgiven. So, I looked at some of the Bible passages that talks about forgiveness. They say we should forgive. I'm looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says we should forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. We should forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. The same condition is given in Colossians 2, again 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, how many? All, all of your trespasses. Go on, 14. 14. And having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So God forgave all of us sins. And I often ask, when did God forgive all of us sins? It wasn't the day that you gave your life to Christ. God forgave your sins 2,000 years ago. Yes, that is when he took care of sin. He forgave your sins 2,000 years ago. The day you born again, you just received that forgiveness that has already been there. And he forgave you once for all. It was not a progressive forgiveness. It's a one-time forgiveness. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was done. Amen? So that is why we can say that we have been forgiven past, present, and future. 
past, present, and future. Because none of us was there 2,000 years ago when Jesus forgave us. So he was anticipating our future sins. Amen. Now, I was, we were discussing in our class this morning some of the problems with forgiveness. Why some people find it difficult to forgive. And one of the things that he said was um, that you still want the person to experience some pain. You know, but be reminded that God says that vengeance is whose? Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Sometimes we think that forgiving that person means that you condone what the, what the person has done. You condone what the person has done. That is not, that is not your problem. No, you, you do not condone it. You are merely doing what God has done, what God has said you should do. Forgiveness is more for you. It's not for the other person. Forgiveness is more for you and not the other person. In fact, there is a saying that forgiveness is like a ban sets a trap for a rat, puts poison on that trap, and then he picks up the poison and then eats it, and then expects the rat to die. That can never be. That is what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness tortures us. Unforgiveness brings resentment. It keeps us in bondage to bitterness. You see, you know, the Bible did not make a mistake to call that word bitterness. Bitterness. It is bitter in your soul. In fact, the, you know, the writer of Hebrew says that, that we should be careful so that no root of bitterness comes into us. Because bitterness, it defies. Bitterness defies. It touches. But when you forgive, you are setting yourself free from all of that. You are setting yourself free, free from that mental torture. You're setting yourself free from the emotional torture. Isaiah said that God forgives us for his name's sake. Did you see that? God forgives us, not for us, but for his name's sake. So we forgive for our own good. It is not for the good of the other person. Um, another meaning of forgive, I think I've already covered that. How do we forgive? How do we forgive? I'm glad you asked that. How do we forgive so that we will really benefit from the effect of forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that I sit back and I don't try to resolve the issue. We often think that the passage of time will heal the wound. That is not true. The passage of time is not going to heal the wound unless you make a conscientious effort to resolve that issue. 
passage of time will just delay your healing. Because along the way, there could be a trigger. There could be a trigger. And all the things, it, it will be like you are reliving what happened many, many years back. It will be like you are just seeing it for the first time. So how do we forgive? There are five steps. There are five steps that we use in forgiveness. And this is an exercise. The first step is that you acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. In other words, charge the debt. You owe me something. Acknowledge that you've been hurt. Don't try to push it under the carpet, otherwise there will be no forgiveness. You cannot forgive somebody who has not offended you. And therefore, you must be conscious. Let the person know what he or she has done. Tell your spouse specifically what they did that hurt you. Number two, acknowledge how it made you feel. Acknowledge how that hurt made you feel. You see, most of us are emotional people. Okay. We kick the dog because we are angry. We punch the wall because we are angry. So we act based on how we feel. If it feels good, test it. You know, we act based on how we feel. So our emotions are very, very strong. And thank God for emotions. God gave us emotions. In fact, we... In the Bible, some people say that emotions are a spice. They are the spice of your life. Just think if you did not have emotions, that you could not emote. There are some people who cannot emote. You know, you look at them, it's blank. You don't see laughter. You don't see sadness. It's just blank. But God has given us emotions so that we can enjoy. And therefore, acknowledge how it made you feel when your husband or your wife did that to you. Number three, release your spouse from the debt that he or she owes you. Even if it is a perceived debt, release the person. Say, you did this, and because you did this, this is how it made me feel, but I choose to release you of the debt that you owe me. I choose to, re to release you from the debt that you owe me. You have to say, you don't have to pay back the debt. Let me take us back to the teaching of Christ. I believe that the reason why that servant went to his fellow servant who owed him almost nothing and threw him into jail was because he did not receive the master's forgiveness. He did not. When the master said, you don't have to pay me back, he thought, no, 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 no. I want to pay you back what I owed you. So if you don't receive forgiveness, you cannot give it out because you cannot give out what you don't have. So forgiveness is a choice. Is a, it's an act of your will. It has nothing to do with your emotions. I want to specify that. Forgiveness is a choice of your will. You make a choice 
to forgive that person, whether you feel like or that. Oftentimes, people say, until I feel like, before I forgive. Until the person comes crawling on the floor, I'm begging and apologizing before I do that. So, forgiveness has nothing to do with your emotions. It is an act of your will. You make a choice, and then you release the person from what he or she owes you. Number four, and this is a hard one. As part of the steps in forgiveness, you are to accept the person unconditionally. Accept the person unconditionally. Just as they are without having to change. Now that's a hard one. Accept this person unconditionally. Some of us are going to try ways of fixing the person. We want the person to change. And therefore, we come up with some schemes, some coping skills that God wants you to get rid of. And then we apply that to have this person change. You are, your responsibility is to release that person from the responsibility that he or she owes you. Allow God to work in that person rather than you trying to fix him or her. That person cannot meet your needs. He or she is simply a resource, a resource for God to use to meet your need. And lastly, be willing to be hurt again. Be willing. To be hurt again. Or the memory, that is why I say this is a hard message. You see, some people listen to Christ and said, if marriage is like this, I don't want to get married. Do you think it was it was easy? It wasn't easy. Be willing to be hurt again. And I give you an example. You know. You have been forgiven by God. Some of us still continue in sin. We still hurt God. We still hurt God. So be willing to be hurt again. <laughs> or let the memory of the offenses or attitude be willing to be hurt by that. Of course, this does not mean that we want it to happen again. Neither does it mean that that what your spouse did was okay. It simply means that you are fully forgiving them with an unconditional release from anything that they owe us with no strings attached. And as you surrender the right and expectations of your offending spouse, you will no longer be hurt. And that is God's remedy. As you release this person, and give him or her unto God. You say, Lord, you gave him or her to me. It's your property. God is going to take care of that. You will not be hurt again. You will not be controlled by bitterness. You will not be controlled by anger. Rather, the fruit of the Spirit will begin to be made manifest in you. 
But if you still hold on to your right, and I tell you what, we have rights, several rights. The right to be happy, the right to have a faithful spouse, the right to experience the abundant life of Christ. We have rights and rights and rights. But as long as you hold on to those rights, you will not make a headway. But if you surrender those rights unto God, then you are going to make a headway. Finally, walking in forgiveness. We are to walk in forgiveness. And the question I ask is, how do you deal with future offenses? And this person keeps offending you. How do you deal with it? The Bible says, I should forgive and keep accounts at zero. I should forgive and keep accounts at zero. Peter asked Jesus, how many times will my brother offend me? How many times? And he was saying, seven times. To him, seven times was a lot. But Jesus said, nope, it's 70 times seven. And that was 490 times in a day, which means limitless. So you have to keep your account at zero. Number two, what if the person never change? What if the person never change? My answer to that, it's God's problem. It's God's problem and not mine. And lastly, what if my feelings don't change? What if I still have the anger? What if I don't, if I don't forget? Who told you that forgiveness means forgetfulness? Forgiveness does not mean that you have to forget what the person did, but when you do remember, always remember also that you forgive the person. So when you remember the offense, also remember that you forgive the person by choice. Your feelings will eventually catch up. It will eventually catch up. When you do remember, the important thing is that don't use it against him or her. That's where I end my talk this, this morning. And I thank God for giving me the uh, grace to do that. But I want to pray. Because I know that there are some in here that are struggling with this. Struggling with pain, struggling with that emotional turmoil. They are on the brink of something else. And I tell you, divorce is never the answer. It's never the answer. Neither retaliation the answer. But you are trusting God. You are trusting God in this. You've let go your flesh. You've let go your scoping skills. You are saying, Lord, you are in charge of this. I want to pray for such people. If you could raise your hands, if you want to come to the front, let me pray with you. You are struggling with forgiveness. You are struggling with unforgiveness. How could I ever forgive this man? How could I ever forgive this woman? There is power in forgiveness. I want to break that scene of unforgiveness. I want you to be released. I want you to be free. Because that is what brings freedom. Forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness will release you from hurt. It will release you from bitterness. It will set you free. So that you can experience the life of Christ. 
the abundant life that God promised you, nothing else. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Father, we thank you. Brothers and sisters, there is no shame in this. This message is not for everyone, but it's for people that have experienced it first time. And I do not trivialize this. As a counselor, I cry with them. When they share their pain, I cry with them. I weep with them. I take them to the Lord. I stand with them. Is Pastor Sheena here? Pastor Sheena? Pastor Tosin? Please come. Let's take our brothers and our sisters to the Lord. The Lord sees your tears. Jesus is the answer. He suffered. Jesus suffered betrayal by his best friend, Judas. You know, if you were to, if you had a company and then you wanted to appoint somebody as a treasurer, who would you appoint? You appoint your best friend, right? Judas was a, was a treasurer of the disciples. He betrayed Jesus. Imagine the pain. Peter denied Jesus. When Jesus hung on that cross, he was naked. You know, we try to cover it when we paint it. That is sex abuse. Jesus, by all means, was sexually abused. I want to pray. I want to take that problem onto God's hand. He knows your heart. He knows your tears. Pastor Sheena, please. You are forgiven completely. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you. Our Father, we thank you. Jesus is the answer. And that is why he's the high priest. Because he identifies with our suffering. There is nothing that you've gone through that you did not go through. 